Hey, this is Joseph Massonary. I'm the pastor at Cornerstone, and this is our podcast. I want to thank you for joining us today. I hope this inspires you. I hope this helps you build your faith. I hope in some way that God will challenge you with a new perspective as you listen. Enjoy the message. We are, this is our final uh, service. We're going on service number five uh, this weekend. We had Good Friday, two services. We had a wonderful time. We had a 7 a.m. at sunrise outside. Um, a beautiful, beautiful time outside this morning, our nine, and now our fifth service today. And we just want to welcome you and say you're, you're all looking amazing today. And can we also take a moment and welcome, it's, it's a lot of people, believe it or not, online. Can we welcome people that are visiting with us, checking us out, uh, whether you're on YouTube or... However you are with us, one of our, our five services, if you're online on a tiny computer screen or a big TV, isn't it pretty cool that we are gathering not only with each other, it's like our whole church gets together on Easter, right? We're gathering with each other, we're gathering uh, on, on computer screens across the city or even the world even, we're gathering across all of Las Vegas. There are amazing Easter services all over town today. Easter specials like at Central that I just love. It's amazing. And not only that, all across our country, there are millions right now gathering today. And even, could we say it like this, isn't it pretty cool to know there are billions around the world celebrating today. Celebrating the King of Kings, celebrating the Lord of Lords. He is not here, he is what? He is risen. And so, man, however you are here, I hope you're pumped. I hope you're excited. I'm on my third cup of coffee, so now we're ready. We're ready to go, all right? It's a little bit, we're ready to roll. If you have a Bible, would you open it up to the book of Luke? The book of Luke, chapter, chapter 23. Luke 23, and I just anticipate, I anticipate what God wants to speak to us today. I, I always love Easter, the expectancy of seeing God change lives, of seeing God speak to people, right? Uh, not only that, Easter is just a cool day to be in church. We all get together, right? Uh, we, we talk about the cross, and how many of you know the cross was a brutal thing, and we don't get to celebrate on Sunday if Friday didn't happen, the brutality of Friday. We're going to talk a little bit about that today. I love also a few things about Easter. I love the family time. I love the Easter nap around 3 or 4 p.m. Anybody with me on that? Um, I love the food. We're going to get to some food outside. We're going to get to something that I hope little ones like this one coming down here, I hope we're excited. We haven't done this since 2019, folks, and it's okay to be excited for things like this. We have an Easter egg hunt today. So all my kids, where's the kids in the house? We haven't been able to do with the way the world has been, correct? We haven't done simple things like we haven't had an Easter egg hunt at church in over two years. That is just wrong. Somebody say amen, right? That's just crazy, crazy stuff. So we're excited at 11 at, at, after service today to bring back the Easter egg hunt. And if you're a kid here, get ready. You don't have to look very far for those eggs. This is the world's easiest Easter egg hunt you will ever have. There's thousands of eggs all in front of you and just gather them and, and gluttony is on display, right? No, I'm teasing. But as we get ready today, I want to talk about a few things. And I, I love even Easter. It's like we all put on our Sunday best. Everybody's showered and shaved. And 
um, I, I don't know any ladies in the house, there's always like that, that excuse to buy a new dress tends to happen on Easter Sunday. Anybody, no? Am I, am I the only one? I got four wonderful ladies in my house and that seems to be the case usually. Ladies, it's a good time to look at your husband and say, see honey, it's okay. He does it too, right? No, it's Easter time. But uh, we're going to talk today and get into a subject that is actually a a little bit tough on Easter, but I want to talk about this word that's been on my mind, and I'm going to feel this in a few minutes because I already had a a few freshly baked chocolate croissants outside from our our team. They made them themselves, and they they did a taster test in the office a couple weeks ago, and they brought them in, and they said, is this okay? They're fresh out of the oven, and they were hot, and they were warm, fresh croissants, like still hot, and I'm telling you, I felt really bad about how many of those things I ate, (laughs) right? And I'm going to feel food guilt in about an hour. I'm going to feel really guilty about what I'm going to do outside. Some of you can relate to that. I was looking that up, this this feeling of feeling guilty over food. I have an awkward relationship with food. Um, This this feeling, I, I looked it up this week. Did you know that food guilt is actually a real thing? Anybody know that? I was read this week that food guilt is a common experience that builds up inside of some of us, men or women, right? You, you, you take that thing, you eat that thing, and it's like you just begin to feel bad about it. And there's this word that comes up and comes to my mind on Easter Sunday, and is this word guilt. And it could be something silly like a, a, a chocolate croissant, or it could be a real emotion that we deal with as parents or grandparents or singles or kids even. You know, kids, we can feel guilty too. And so this Easter, I want to talk about some different things that, that might be going on in our lives or in our, our homes. And any, any moms in the house, would you say hello, hello, hello? Say hey. I, I, I was reading, there's a thing called mom guilt. And I'm sure it's, it, it's like, you know, if you're a mom working hard at home, working hard in the workplace, feeling like, you know, maybe you're, you're just never able to do enough or getting enough time with your kids or you, you compare yourself to, um, you know, like all these Mary Poppins moms on Pinterest. Practically perfect in every way. Anybody ever see that, right? It's like on Instagram and online. It's like these, these certain people, they just make parenting look amazing right? They make parenting look easy. They make parenting, they make momhood look very glamorous, right? And there's such a thing even for dads. I've, I've thought about this. Dad guilt, pastor guilt, right? There's guilt in our job, in our workplace. Dad's feeling like maybe the pressure to provide, but also the simultaneous pressure to, to be home with your kids enough, right? And that balance of feeling like, man, I have to provide, but I have to I want to be with my kids. I want to be the, the father dads call me to be. And it feels like you don't have maybe even enough time with your spouse. And it seems like, man, when you, when you do one more than the other, you, you sometimes don't feel very good at either. We have guilt about our language. Anybody relate to Peter last week? We spoke about St. Peter and how one of the translations in the gospel says when he denied Christ, he began cursing at people. Some of us ever feel guilty about our language from time to time, right? We're, we're like Peter and we're like a human deadliest catch TV show, beep, 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 and things just come out, and then we come to church and we're like, God, I'm sorry, and then we walk out and we do it again because that pastry was so good. No, I'm teasing, right? But there's 
we feel guilty about our past, we feel guilty, guilty about a broken relationship, or maybe we feel guilty about a broken marriage. You know, it's possible that even some of us feel this way today is we even can feel guilty about the spiritual stuff. We can feel guilty about maybe, gosh, I just feel like I don't pray enough with my family, or I don't say yes enough to serving enough, or I don't learn to say no when I should learn how to say no, or I don't show up enough or give enough. There's guilt in all different ways. I don't read my Bible enough. I'm not as spiritual as that next mom or that next guy or that next dad. You can even be a, a kiddo today getting ready for an egg hunt. And I don't know, is there any kids, you can maybe relate to this and depending on your personality. I think all, those of us, if you've ever had like multiple kids, all of our kids have different personalities, right? But maybe you're even a young person, a kid or in your teen years or young adult where you feel guilty about a moment or a time where you let your parents down. Like that real emotion, that real feeling like, man, I can't believe I lashed out and did that. I can't believe I let my parents down. Guilt is a very real emotion, and it's an emotion in some ways we've been conditioned to feel. And you might be here today, and as we get into God's Word, you may feel like, you know what, I have a relationship with Jesus. I love Christ. I love Jesus. But I just still struggle with feeling guilty. I feel guilty over things that I'm doing or fail to stop doing, things I'm saying and can't seem to stop saying. Well, we're going to look at scripture today, and my prayer is that God's word does all the speaking this morning and challenges us, and we see some, some truth in these words from Dr. Luke. Luke chapter 23, if you have your Bible, would you open it? If you have your smartphone, would you turn it on, right? And would you jump into the gospel of Luke, and you can pull up some sermon notes. We have those on our app as well, if you jump into the media section and Go to sermon notes, they're provided in digital format for you. But I want to start in verse 32 of Luke chapter 23. Two, other, two others, both criminals, were led out to be executed with him, him being Jesus. 33, when they came to a place called the skull, they nailed him to the cross and the criminals were also crucified, one on his right, one on his left. So as we begin and before we jump into the next verse, verse 40 or verse uh, 34, I've never been much of a, a, a mathematician. Are there any math folks in the house? Anybody you can just honestly say, you know, I love math. It's interesting. I'm good at it. I enjoy it. I love it. It's okay to admit it. We will make fun of you and then pray for you. No, I'm teasing, right? Math it was never, anybody, anybody like me and you're just like, math was not my thing. Math was not my jam, right? I have some kids that are pretty good at math. I'm like shocked, right? Math, I'll be honest, was just not my thing. But I have a question for you and you're, you're a smart crowd. I'm gonna ask you this and I think you can get the answer right. When they were taken to the place called the skull, they were led out to be crucified there were two criminals and there were Jesus and they were all put on a cross that day how many people were put on a cross that day there we go two criminals plus Jesus equals three so let me ask you again how many people were put on a cross that day shout it out you guys are mathematicians right 
That's the kind of math we love, we know and love in this place, right? That is correct. They were led out, and in that culture, these three men were about to experience what is known as the most brutal, the most horrible, the most painful way to die. The most brutal form of capital punishment, I believe, ever created. It was perfected by the Romans and the Roman soldiers and a little bit of insight of this price. When we remember what Jesus did, we have to talk about Friday because Friday was brutal. Have you ever had a a surgery or a broken bone or something where you would say, I was in so much pain, it was actually excruciating pain, right? Excruciating pain. Mom's in the house. If you're a mom, you've probably, right, okay, excruciating pain. The very word excruciating, it actually means out of the cross, it's this completely painful, shameful way that the Romans created for capital punishment. Not only was it horrifically painful and torture, a slow, slow, torturous experience, but it was also shameful because they would humiliate you. They would spit on you. They would strip you down. And it would start with 39 lashes. We spoke about this on Good Friday, but with kids in the house, I want to keep it as PG as possible, but they would put pieces of bone and nail and glass and anything that would strip away the skin until so much of the back would be exposed that sometimes even organs would be exposed because these lashes were so brutal. After they would do this, they would then take you out and they would stake you to a cross. They would take seven to nine inch nails and they would drive them through your hands and through your feet and it was no doubt painful, but what we fail to realize sometimes is it was very slow. It was so slow in fact that sometimes it would take days and days for prisoners to pass away. You would either die from suffocation or pure exhaustion and it was a capital punishment, a form of it that was meant for the worst of the worst. It was meant for severe criminals. And in short, I think we could take it from this. We stopped in Scripture. These two guys with Jesus, can we say it like this? They were not good dudes. These were bad guys. These guys did something. We don't know what it was, but they did something terrible to be on the side of Jesus. To be there with him, they did something wrong. And it was an expensive form of capital punishment because you needed to pay soldiers overtime probably, right? You had to pay them days to be at the scene, making sure everything went through as planned. And we talk about a king that suffered something horrific on that Friday. And he's an interesting king. He's unlike any other king we've ever known. He's unlike any other ruler we've ever known or heard of. Because when we think of leaders and we think of people who are connected and we think of people who are celebrity or wealthy, right? We think of the jet-setting, powerful people that are in politics or run our world, right? Jesus is a king, but he's a curious one because instead of wearing a crown of gold, our king wore a crown of thorns. Number one, would you write that down? He's a curious king indeed. He's interesting. He intrigues me because instead of wearing a crown of gold, signifying his power, his money, his connections, this king wore a crown of thorns. And with that crown of thorns on his head, he prayed in verse 34. Would you look at verse 34 with me? And this is an interesting prayer. 
from the cross, and I described a little bit of this excruciating pain with his nails, hand, and his body wounded and opened up, on display, spat upon, made fun of, mocked, cursed, Jesus begins to do something that is intriguing and peculiar and amazing. He begins to pray. Can we look at verse 34? Here is his prayer from the cross. Jesus said, Father, forgive them, for they know not what they are doing. And the soldiers gambled for his clothes by throwing dice. They gambled for his clothes by throwing dice while he began to pray for those gamblers, for those soldiers, for those people. One of the Gospels says that the the people there mocked Jesus until they ran out of the energy to continue mocking him. Can you imagine being so sick in your heart that you, you would make fun of someone or you would verbally assault someone so much that the only way you finally stopped was you actually physically got tired of verbally assaulting them, right? This is Jesus, and he begins to pray. Let's read it again. Father, would you read it with me? Forgive them, for they know not what they are doing. I think of Las Vegas. It says they're, they're throwing dice. I was able to escape with my wife for, for just like a, a quick date at Resort World, and we were walking through the casino, and I've never understood how that game craps works and maybe some of you work in the casino industry right and you're and you know how it works I've never never figured it out never tried it it's 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 crazy but I think of this type of atmosphere right there's people literally gambling throwing the dice off the wall while the king of kings is put on the cross on display and Jesus prays father forgive them for they don't know what they are doing would anybody here be brave enough to raise their hand I will raise both and say my prayer would have been a lot different than his prayer. Would anybody here be thinking or saying other things about these men? I, if I were Jesus, my prayer would not have sounded like this. My prayer would have probably been something about, God, you need to send Michael. God, you need to send Gabriel. Bring the sword, bring the fire, bring the lightning, bring the thunder. Bring them all, take them all, strike them all, and make it hurt right? Send them all to you know where right now. My prayer would have been much different, but Jesus says, Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. He prays to heaven and he says, forgive them. They don't understand. Verse 35, let's continue in this study. The crowd watched. The crowd watched. The leaders scoffed. He saved others, they said. Let him save himself if he is really God's Messiah. He's really the chosen one. The soldiers mocked him too. By offering him a drink of sour wine, they called out to him, if you are king of the Jews, save yourself. Verse 38, a sign was fastened above him with these words. This is the king of the Jews. One of the criminals hanging beside him scoffed. So you're the Messiah, are you? Prove it by saving yourself. And underline this, would you circle that? I love this. His selfishness never ceases here, this this criminal. Prove it by saving yourself, but look what he says. Oh, oh, and me, and us too, right? While you're at it, save us. 
and save yourself. He's a curious king. He's an interesting king. He's a peculiar king because instead of being surrounded by servants, this king was surrounded by criminals. Number two, would you write that down? Instead of being served, he was surrounded by criminals, by lawbreakers. He was treated as such. The Bible says, like a lamb led before the slaughter, he was taken and he was pierced. This prisoner in verse 39, no doubt, deserves his place on that cross. He says, aren't you powerful? Aren't you this Jesus? Maybe he saw, aren't you that guy? I saw you work some miracles. What's the deal now? Did your God just leave you? Aren't you the Messiah, this prideful, arrogant criminal? He's mocking Jesus. But let's look at another criminal on the cross who also deserved to be there, also earned his place on that cross. In verse 40, he speaks up and he says something interesting. Would you read it with me? The other criminal protested. Don't you fear God even when you have been sentenced to die? Sentenced to die. You know, it's, it's like we come to, to Easter service, and I, I love Easter, but it's like pastor's talking about guilt, he's talking about sin, and he's talking about death. Welcome to church. Right? I'm teasing, right? But we talk, we, we, we kind of, we look at death, and, and I, I do this, it's like we, we view it as this far out, distant thing and yet the reality is no matter how young you hear the wonderful sounds of beautiful children in this place right these beautiful new life new babies you can I love that sound anybody here love it about babies you can almost tell how old a baby is by the way they cry because there's a difference between like that cry cry and that little sweet baby cry when they're like under six months anybody here I love that somebody's like there's something wrong with you you love babies crying right I love that, that sweet sound, but no matter how young and sweet and beautiful, it's like we all have an appointment, just like these criminals. We've all been sentenced because of sin. Verse 41, here's what the criminal says. Read it with me. Church, we deserve to die for our crimes, but this man hasn't done anything wrong. Then he said to Jesus, Jesus, remember me when you come into your kingdom. Verse 41 is interesting to me, if you look at it. This criminal speaks up, and he says, what's happening to us is just. What's happening to the two criminals, he, he says, this is justice. He recognizes that he did something. We don't know what it was. I would say it like this, from the cross, he owns his actions. He says, we're getting what we had coming to us we don't know the horrible acts they committed but it must have been significant in that culture folks and this criminal says it's fair this criminal says something that culturally we tend to celebrate and if i'm honest i i kind of feel like this sometimes too this criminal says we get what we deserve has anybody here ever uttered that right has anybody here uttered that statement you get what you deserve or maybe, maybe, maybe you haven't like gone that, that, that like blunt with it, but maybe you've kind of mixed it up and we've said something like this, right? Maybe you've said, help me out with this statement. Maybe you've said something like this. What goes around, all right, I'm a, you have to participate a little bit more, right? Where it's like people are smelling donuts and the coffee's good and it's all wonderful. 
The egg hunt is good, right? What goes around, yeah, that's a way of saying you get what you deserve. What about this one? Um, your past will come back to haunt you. I always used to say bite you, right? Bite you on the butt. Somebody was thinking that, but you're in church, so you didn't want to say it. Bite you on the butt, right? You made your bed. Wait, what? You made your bed, what? Yeah. These are all different ways of saying, pal, buddy, you got what was coming to you. You got what you deserve. These are all different ways of saying that. And, and I will be honest, there are moments in my life where I kind of like seeing people get what they have coming to them. You laugh, but I think you're the same way. There's a part of us, maybe not all the time, maybe not in every instance, but sometimes, sometimes it's a beautiful thing. We're like, somebody got what they deserved. I, 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 you know, there's a lot of kids in here today, so I, I got to keep it legit and, 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 and make sure, like, uh, you know, if you, if you do happen, if you're in your teen years, these are classics, but you still need to get your parents' permission. I'm going to say it like that. But there's, prob there's something in me, when I think about this, you get what you deserve. You get what you deserve. There's part of me that loves seeing justice. It probably explains why I absolutely adore, I'm dating myself, but I adore movies like Braveheart. Somebody can amen that, right? Amen, right? And kids, again, you got to get, it's a, it's, a, it's a good one, a little brutal at times. I adore movies like Braveheart. Freedom, William Wallace, right? He avenges his wife. I love movies like, somebody, somebody's going to shout me down on this one, Tombstone. Thank you. I'm your Huckleberry, <laughs> right? I'm your Huckleberry. That's just my game. Tombstone. Oh my gosh, I love, it's just something, I just, I tune in, I, 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 I'll watch that tomorrow, I'll tune in with the popcorn, oh yes, get him Val Kilmer, get him, right? There's something in me that loves, I just love man on fire, somebody say man on fire, Denzel at his finest, right? I never knew Denzel could do that, that was amazing, man on fire, and again, kids, get your parents' permission, this is not movie advice. There's part of me that even... <laughs> I could be driving home on the freeway, and I've seen this before, and maybe you have too, where some knucklehead on the freeway cuts you off, and he's speeding on the right-hand side of the freeway and zigzagging. And have you ever been in that moment? This doesn't happen often, but I'm guessing in Vegas you've seen this, where sometimes you see someone doing something, and then you catch up to him a few miles later, and you see that black and white metro car with the lights on, or you see that highway patrolman with the lights on, and you pass by that car with such... Oh, you just feel so good. You're like, they got them. They got them. You, oh, I love you, Metro, right? You drive by that police officer, you're like, go get them. Take them to jail while you're at it, right? There's something in us. It's, it's, it's like, I'll be honest, it's like, I love seeing, I love seeing that. I've seen that. I love seeing people get, like, does anybody here agree with that? Like, come on, like, I love sometimes seeing people get what they deserve. I just love it, except when it applies to me. <laughs> Think about that for a minute. Let that sink in, and let's be honest, right? Except when those rules are applied to me. Officer, I was just speeding to Michael's to get this painting framed. I promise. That's all right. I'm still writing you a ticket. You were speeding, right? Except when those very rules 
apply to me because I'll be honest, I do not want to get what I deserve. Number three, this curious king, instead of sitting on a, a throne, this king was put on a cross. You should put that in your notes this morning. Instead of a throne, he was hung on a cross. Verse 40, would you read it with me one more time? The other criminal protested, don't you fear God? Even when you've been sentenced to die, we deserve to die for our crimes, but this man has done nothing wrong. He says, this Jesus has done nothing wrong. And then I love verse 42. Would you read it with me? He said, Jesus, remember me when you come into your kingdom. All of a sudden, this criminal becomes very aware of his mistakes, of his failures, of his deeds. And he says, Jesus, would you remember me? And I want to look at something. I want to look at Jesus' response. And in particular, I want to look at what Jesus did not say. Because so much different than my human reaction, Jesus did not say, you get what you deserve, pal. That guy expressed his heart to him. He acknowledged Jesus, and Jesus did not say, this, this boggles my mind when Christians say this, uh, Jesus did not say you're going to hell, right? I don't understand how Christians can be rude sometimes, right? Jesus didn't say, you had your shot, pal. He didn't say, well, I think I saw you in the crowd at the Sermon on the Mount, and I don't think you were taking notes, you clearly didn't apply the greatest sermon of all time, right? You clearly didn't break out your iPad. I didn't see your thumbs moving. I don't see you taking notes. You didn't apply scripture to your life. Jesus didn't say, you didn't listen to me teaching, and sorry, buddy, you get the other, you get the other place. Let's look at what Jesus did say, and let's look at who he said it to. 43, Jesus replied, I assure you today. He says, I guarantee you today. I guarantee you when this horrific pain ends, when this excruciating experience is over with, I guarantee you, you will be with me in paradise. Would you circle that? Would you underline that in your notes today? You will be with me. I assure you, you will be with me in paradise. This criminal, uh, it's so interesting who he said it to because you realize this criminal couldn't do a thing to fix whatever it was he messed up. I'm sure he couldn't apologize maybe to the family he hurt. No doubt he did something. Maybe he was a murderer. This criminal couldn't do a thing to change his past or fix his past. He couldn't act out one good thing or do a good work because he was on the cross. He couldn't go to a church. He couldn't get baptized. He couldn't lift his hands because like Jesus, his hands were firmly nailed to that cross. There was nothing he could do to gain right standing, earn right standing, deserve right standing with God. And yet look what Jesus said to him. This man who is guilty, this man who is sinful, this man, Jesus says, I assure you, today you will be with me in paradise. I kind of scratch my head and I go, why, why, why did Jesus say this? And here's what I think 
Jesus knew. He knew this man's heart was in a posture of repentance. He knew his, his attitude was one that was acknowledging how he had fallen short. And Jesus said to the criminal, I'm not going to give you what you deserve. Jesus said, you'll be forgiven. You will be with me in paradise. Even though there's no amount of payment, even though there's no amount of good, even though there's nothing you could do to be there. This morning as we get ready to close and go have some fun and Easter egg hunt and eat chocolate croissants that I will feel guilty about, Maybe you're here today and you just feel a sense of guilt or hopelessness about where you've been, what you're doing, what you're not doing. The Bible says in Ephesians, like the rest, we were by nature deserving of wrath. Would you read this scripture with me? But because of his great love, God who is rich in mercy made us alive in Christ even when we were dead in transgressions. For it is by grace you've been saved through faith. It's not from yourselves. It is the gift of God, not by works, so that no one can boast. So if we allow this scripture to speak to our hearts today, we realize that we don't get what we deserve because of his love for us. See, we, we celebrate resurrection today. We celebrate Jesus and we honor him and we come and we gather. But really, this idea of resurrection is still applicable to us right now. It applies to us today because the reality is Jesus didn't go through all of that. He didn't die on the cross to stay there. He didn't leave the tomb behind for people to just be good. He didn't rise again to make bad people good and make bad people have behavior modification, but he came to bring dead people to life. And really, when we talk about Easter, that is the story. That is the prayer that we all can declare. It's this recognition in the heart that I don't deserve it, I don't deserve this gift. Jesus was the innocent one. Jesus was the fulfillment of prophecy. And Jesus doesn't treat me as I deserve. So as we kind of just get ready to close, and let's just, if we just circle all the way back, it was, it was funny, I was, I was randomly, literally talking. Sometimes I feel like God can just speak in the craziest ways, in the craziest places. Anybody agree with that? I was literally in my dad's jacuzzi, and my dad and I were just talking, hanging out in the hot tub this week. It was like Wednesday or Thursday. I don't even know what day it was. And we started talking about the number three in Scripture. And I asked you at the beginning of the teaching, right, how many people were on the cross? How many people went to a cross? How many people were crucified that day? Would you shout it out? What was it, three? And it was so cool. Like, we were literally just talking. And what's fascinating is you could, you could go to school and it would be torturous, but you could have like a whole semester in Bible college or seminary where they would teach you about the significant meaning of numbers in Scripture, right? And how, what the number four and what the number five, what the number six means, right? Six is one short of seven, and so we, we kind of know about that number, not good. 
We spoke about this a few weeks ago with number seven being this representation of perfection, this representation of God's holiness, number seven. It's, for those of us from Las Vegas, it's not just the, the good luck number, right? Number seven is the representation of God's number, God's holiness being completely perfect in every way. But we talked about the number three, three criminals. Three people, not criminals. <laughs> Two criminals. One Jesus put on the cross. Three people on a cross. You want to hear some fun? Anybody down for some t- statistics before we close today? You all right with this? The number three in Scripture, here's what it means if you want to write this down. It always means completed. It always means, listen to this, wholeness. The number three in Scripture, biblically it means wholeness, it means complete. And here we go, some fun little things to talk about. And man, we could go on and on. I, I Literally, you, you, this would be a fun thing to Google this week. But some threes in Scripture, there's the Trinity, the Father, Son, Holy Ghost. We could talk about the attributes and the qualities of God, starting with that He's omnipresent and omnipotent, right? We could talk about the three Old Testament, could we call them the founding fathers in the Old Testament? Abraham, Isaac, Jacob. In the Old Testament, right, they had to have that, that tabernacle and there was three sections of the tabernacle. There was that hero in the Old Testament, right, that refused to listen, that refused in order when he was told not to pray. It was, his name was Daniel who prayed how many times? Say it with me. He prayed how many times? Three, right? Yeah. There was Jonah who spent three days in the fish. There's Paul, if we move into, even if we want to jump to the New Testament, Paul was blind for three days. You get where I'm going with Paul was stranded for three months on Malta. The wise men brought three gifts. Jesus' ministry was three years. His time on earth where he ministered to people, it was three years. And we'll just go through some of these. Are you ready? Jesus died at 33 years old. Three of the disciples were closest to him. He had 12, but we know he poured his life into the three. They were Peter, James, and John. Jesus was tempted by the devil three times. Peter denied Jesus three times. Jesus restored Peter three times. Jesus raised three people from the dead, starting with Jairus' daughter, the widow's son, and we know Lazarus. Three times Jesus prayed in the Garden of Gethsemane. Three men were hung on the cross that day. Above, above Jesus hung a sign that read, King of the Jews, and it was written in three languages. They were Hebrew, Greek, and Latin. Jesus was placed on the cross at the third hour of the day, at the ninth hour, which to us is 3 p.m. Jesus declared, three words and when he declared three words the earth began to shake when he declared three words they were it is finished darkness began to fall when he declared three words there was hours and hours and hours of nothing it was actually three hours and everything went silent there was no life there was no hope there was one day day one on the cross and nothing happened excruciating pain and then there was Saturday day two nothing but isn't it exciting to think about day three isn't it exciting to think about what three represents 
wholeness, something being complete. Day one, nothing. Day two, nothing. Day three, Mary takes her girls down to the tomb and they go and they see a stone that is rolled away and that stone is not there because God's work is now what? It's complete. Turn us up, right? His work is now finished. And Jesus uttered those, what, how many words from the cross? He said, it is finished. In the original language, it's this Greek word, it's called tetelestai which is a mouthful, I know, but this meaning, it actually is a banking term. It means paid in full. Jesus uttered from the cross, it is finished, paid in full. It is complete. It is done. What is done, you say? What is paid in full? Debt is paid in full, right? Sin that could never be repaid to a holy and a perfect God because the only standard to measure ourselves to a perfect God is perfection, which how many of you agreed is not possible for us, and so there is this debt problem that we have. Has anybody here ever gotten themselves into a mountain of credit card debt? A mountain of student debt that is impossible to repay, impossible to fix. We can't even begin to describe what kind of debt we owe a perfect and holy God because a perfect and holy God is so holy and so perfect that he cannot judge us based on the curve. I loved the curve when I was in high school and college. How many of us loved that day? right? God cannot do that. He cannot grade sin on a curve, and yet we want to, t- we want to culturally do that. I'm not, I just going to compare myself to that girl, that guy. I don't, I'm not as bad. I didn't do that. My sin's a little bit smaller, and when culture says, you know what, why do, why do bad things happen to good people? Why do Why do bad things happen to good people? The argument in itself is completely pointless because the reality is they don't. It's not even a discussion to have. It only actually happened once in all of history and Jesus volunteered for it. Let's read one more scripture as we close. He does not punish us for all our sins. He does not deal harshly with us as we deserve for his unfailing love towards those who fear him is as great as the height of the heavens above the earth because he has removed our sins as far as the east is from the west. And Jesus simply looked at that repentant criminal on the cross and he said, your sins are forgiven. Today you will be with me in paradise. And so for us today, if you are here feeling a sense of shame, feeling a sense of guilt, feeling a sense of you have not measured up, Jesus declares that you can be forgiven and that you will be forgiven when you do something called just confess talking to him, agreeing with him because the Bible says our God is so faithful, he's so just that when we confess our sin to him, he's faithful, he's just, and he will forgive us our sins. And then what's even more amazing, someone say man, he will actually do something even better. He will cleanse us from all unrighteousness. And you might be here today because we just know life has been weird for a few years. And you might just be like, man, I am not a church person. I'm here because I'm making a family member happy. Truth. You might be online because that annoying family member sent you a link and they're like, watch this, watch this, watch this, right? Somebody online might be like that. You might be here today and like, church is not my thing. This Jesus stuff, it's not my thing. I don't even know why I'm here, but you can honestly just say, you know, I'm here by, it's just, I just feel like I'm here by an accident. I just stumbled through. 
But I got news for you, there's no such thing. It's God being so good that he actually draws you in. He's drawing you to himself. He's drawing you to his son. His son has a name. His son is Jesus. The Bible says this Jesus was perfect in every way. This Jesus went to a cross, and on that cross he was crucified. On that cross he was crucified and he died. And the Bible says that on day three... He rose again. The Bible says he was seen by hundreds. He was seen by many. And for doubters that say, you know what, I, I just I don't know if I can believe such a story. You had his 11 remaining disciples. You had them and they all, they all either went to a cross or went to a torturous death. Died taking that truth with them. You think of scandals and how easily things get out these days, right? All these men said, we saw him. He was seen by many and he rose. He ascended to heaven. And the Bible says that he's appealing for us today. Let's bow our heads. God, we thank you for this time. We thank you for Easter. But God, remind us today that there is no day three without day one. God, remind us today that each of us have fallen short of a standard that is perfect. God, we see the ravaging effects of sin in our world. We see it in society. We see it in war. We see it in poverty. We see it in gluttony. We see it financially. God, we see the price for sin. But God, we believe that on Easter, because of Jesus, your unfailing love towards us, that you've removed our sin as far as the East is from the West, that if you declare, if you acknowledge, so that anyone, think about that, anyone, Anyone can be in hit with Jesus in paradise. That thief on the cross was guaranteed it. Anyone. No matter how bad, no matter how dark, no matter how apart, no matter how much you've been doing your own thing, no matter how much you've rejected or run away from God, he's making an appeal for you today. His son is drawing you in. His son is drawing you close. And if you call on the name of Jesus today, the Bible says you will be saved. I want that guarantee. I want that ticket like that thief on the cross. I want Jesus to say, you will be with me in paradise. Because we each have a, def a destination, an appointment, a time where we will be called somewhere. We'll be called to one or two places. So I want to ask you today as we, as we finish, as we close, I want to ask you to make a decision if you've never made a decision before. I want to ask you to acknowledge Jesus if you've never acknowledged him before. I want to encourage you to come running back to him if you have ran out the door and been on the run from him. 
The Bible says if we acknowledge Jesus before men, he will acknowledge us before his Father. And that's what we're going to do today. If you want to just acknowledge him, if you want to say, you know what, I have fallen short of this standard. I've been running from God. I've been far away from God. I've been doing my thing but it's time to come home. It's time to come back. The Bible says he is standing at the door and he is knocking. He is waiting. He is ready to have breakfast with you. If you just acknowledge him, that thief just said, Jesus, I messed up. If that's you this morning, I want to give you a chance. Would you just lift your eyes or would you just lift your hands with no one looking around? One of the ways I simply just love to acknowledge him. We don't have hands like that criminal nailed to a cross so they're free. And we can just physically do one thing and say, you know what, Jesus, you did so much for me. I'm going to lift my hand and acknowledge you in this house. If that's you today, would you just count the, would you just lift your hand when I count the three? One, two, and three. Would you go ahead and lift it up and say, I want to acknowledge him. I see you folks over there. I see those hands over there. Get in the middle over here. I see some young ones here. I see you over here. I see the hands in the middle here. Come on. Get them up, people. There's no, there's no need to, to not celebrate. There's no need to not acknowledge him. Let's say, Jesus, we acknowledge you in this house. Would you pray this with me if you lifted your hand and if you didn't or if you're at home? Jesus, I surrender my life to you. Come on, church. Say that out loud. Jesus, I surrender my life completely to you. Jesus, would you save me? Come on, say that, church. Save me. Jesus, would you forgive me? Jesus, make me totally new. Fill me with your spirit so I can show your love. So can I extend your love in all that I do? My life is not my own. I give my life to you. Would you say that if you raise your hand? Jesus, I give my life to you. I acknowledge you. I pray this in your holy name. Amen. Can all God's people just celebrate good people, not bad people coming good, but death to life. God, we praise you. We thank you in Jesus' name. Can someone say, isn't that awesome stuff? Day three, everybody, right? Thank you for joining us today, and a special thanks to those who give to Cornerstone. You know, it's because of you, our ministry, it's possible. Uh, You can click the link in the description to give now or visit us at cornerstonelv.com. And if you enjoyed the podcast, you can subscribe, you can share it with friends, share it with family, help us spread God's word. You can also join us live every Sunday. We invite you, 9 a.m. or 11 a.m. We stream service live. Thank you again for listening.